How many, how many of you guys have never looked at our website before? Oh, wow. Okay, it's a great website. There's lots on there. You can also, let me just, let me just give one more plug for Bible study. You can always go to the website and listen to the podcast if you have to miss what happens here on Thursday night. Okay, all, all through the book of Luke and halfway through the book of Acts is on there. So you guys can catch up if you missed. Okay, let's do this. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to speak to us because if we ask him to, guaranteed he will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us in a way that changes our lives? We don't want to just hear about things that happened a long time ago. We don't want to just hear about things that are happening in other parts of the world. We want to experience you. We've already experienced you tonight, Lord, but we're just pressing in closer and closer to you. And would you take what we're studying tonight in Acts 15 and use it to help us understand how to live our lives, that we would be men and women who live our lives totally dedicated to you. And just like we sang, would you purify our hearts? Would you cut off everything in our lives, burn off everything in our lives that doesn't honor you? And would this community of people be white, hot, determined to follow you, shining into the dark world, your light? Would you help us now? Open our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I think we've got Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, then we want to encourage you to bring one. But if you forgot yours tonight, then does somebody have Bibles to hand out? Okay. Annika's going to get them there. And where we are, let me tell you where we are. We're in Acts chapter 15. If you guys remember, the book of Acts is an account, a historical account of what the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit of God did in the lives of his apostles in the years after he left. That's what, that's what we've been studying. And we're, we're, all, we're about halfway through the book right now. And there's a lot of opposition from the devil. Lots of darkness pushing against this church, this community of Jesus' people. But in every case that we've seen, the community of God's people always wins. And with your eyes on Jesus, let me just tell you guys this. With your eyes on Jesus, every attack of the devil, every push of the devil in your life can be overcome victoriously in Jesus. There's no power of hell, no weapon formed against you that can prosper if you're in him. He is strong, and you are strong in him. By yourself, you are weak. You're not going to make it against the devil. But in him, the devil has no power. So this is what we've seen. We've seen it consistently. The, the devil attacking the church of Jesus and the church of Jesus being victorious. So here we are. In chapter 15, and the first verse is a little bit of a, of a, a repeat or a review from last week. But before we do that, I want, I want to show you guys a real short video that a bunch of you have probably already seen. But I want you to think about how sometimes you got people in your lives who are convinced that they are right. Okay, so I want you to see this video. Of someone who All thinks right, no team has right. reached three points, which means we're going to sudden death. Give me Logan. Give me Eve. Yeah. All right. Real simple. There's one question. Only one answer. Whoever gets it, you're playing for $10,000. That's it. Whoever guesses this wins the game. Here we go. Name Popeye's favorite food. Chicken. Chicken! 
spinach, Sherry. Have you guys seen that? Who's seen that? Okay. I told my wife I was going to play it, and she was like, they've already seen that. Okay, who can do your best impersonation of her? Chicken! Okay, we keep doing that at home. Me and my wife keep doing that to each other. So you guys got to hang out at our place. Okay. Okay, here's the point. How do I tie that into Acts 15? Here's the point. You guys have been around people who are convinced that they're right. And she had a quick letdown. She found out she wasn't right, but you ever notice that there's people who are not right, but seem to be convinced they are, and the more that you try to convince them that they're not right, the less they, the, the, more, the more set in their ways that they are, believe that they are right. Okay, so what we're going to talk about tonight in Acts 15 is how the church handled conflict between two groups of people who thought they were both right. Okay? And we're going to learn about how to respond to situations that could potentially be conflicting. Okay, so Acts chapter, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Verse 1 is a review from last week. But some men came down from Judea to Antioch. If you guys remember, Antioch is another city way up in modern-day Turkey. And these men were teaching the brothers in Antioch, unless you are circumcised, and all the stuff that goes along with circumcision, unless you're circumcised according to the, the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You guys remember this. And I asked you, so can I erase your artwork here, Alethea? Good job, by the way. Would you please draw pictures on my door upstairs? On the other side of my door, because somebody else drew pictures on the outside of my door. Good job. Okay, I'm erasing this. Okay, you guys remember, I wrote up here last week, um, what they were teaching is, you must be circumcised to be saved. And I asked you guys to think about what you would say if somebody asked you, you must be blank to be saved. Okay, you guys remember that? Yeah. Okay. I got one yes. Thank you. Was that Jessica? Jessica, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. Okay, you must be blank to be saved. Do you guys remember what we, what, what we finally decided the Bible teaches about this blank? You must believe to be saved. But is it, I mean, what, what earns your salvation? Nothing. Nothing earns your salvation. Yeah, you gotta, you got to believe and accept what has been done for you, but there's nothing that you must do to earn your salvation. All the earning of your salvation was done by Jesus. That blank has been filled by Jesus. Period. Okay, you guys remember this? This review from last week. Okay, so these guys come down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they say, okay, if you want to be saved, you got to do this. And this brings them, look at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, with those people that were saying this from Jerusalem. So here's my question that we're going to talk about first. Are there times in your lives where it is worth doing what Paul and Barnabas did? 
they, they went into sharp dispute and debate with these people. Are there times in your life where it's worth sharply disputing or sharply debating with people who are teaching something that is wrong? Sure, it is. It is worth entering into debate and dispute at times, but I want to suggest to you that usually it's not worth it. I just want to suggest that. This is what I mean. I don't think it's usually worth it. And I would suggest that the amount of time that you spend disputing or debating with people about their wrong theology could probably bring greater glory to Jesus by you doing something else. Okay, nice. Now stick with me here because you're thinking, how does Steve get that, that out of this? But here's why. I want to give you two reasons why the, uh, I'm saying this. First of all, Unless both you and the other party are more interested in unity than you are in being proved right, then your dispute or your debate is not going to accomplish very much. Usually, when you are disputing or debating with people, even though they will not admit it, they're usually more interested in winning the argument than they are in bringing unity, unity to the two parties. Have you guys noticed this? If anything, you're disputing and you're debating with people usually doesn't cause them to say, oh my goodness, you're right and I'm wrong. Usually, they work all the harder to try to find arguments to prove to you that you're wrong and they're right. And they work hard to solidify their arguments and justify themselves, okay? If you, think, if you, if you guys have experienced this before, you see, hear people arguing. I mean, what you saw in the video right there, I don't know if you noticed that even in the video, after she was proved wrong, she still ran over to the guy and tried to explain her case. Did you guys see that? Now, she did it with a smile on her face and all of her silly mo movements, but that's what we do. Even, we're, we, we hate to be wrong. And the more that people point out how wrong we are, the more we try to find a reason that we're, it's not really, I'm really not all that bad, and I'm really not believing that much of a lie. Okay, so the first reason that I want to suggest to you guys that, that usually it's not worth entering into disputing or debating with other people is because unless the goal is unity on both sides, you're probably not going to make any, a lot of difference. And you're just wasting a lot of energy and time. Okay, the second reason is because the Bible teaches this. I want you guys to see a verse. 2 Timothy 2.23. We're going to look at this for a couple minutes. So if Skyler, if you can put that up there, it would be great. 2 Timothy 2.23. This is Paul writing to his mentee or his apprentice, Pastor Timothy, who's a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's, he's teaching. He's writing from prison. And he's teaching young Timothy or younger Timothy, how to be a pastor and how to spend, how Timothy should be spending his time and how not to be spending his time. And this is what he says. Second Timothy, you don't got it up there? What's that? No Wi-Fi. Okay. That's why you guys bring your Bibles. Good. Okay. So everybody's got your Bibles. Second Timothy 2.23, this is what he says. Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know 
they produce quarrels. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Are you the Lord's servant? Just I want you to think about this for a second. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think. Am I a servant of the Lord? And I hope that I hope that all of you would say, yeah, I'm your servant. In fact, we just sang a song about, Lord, anything you want, you can have. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Anything you want to take away, you can take away. You're the boss. I'm not. So if you're the Lord's servant, you must not quarrel. Period. Stop quarreling, guys. Instead, this is what you're supposed to be. Instead, you must be kind to everyone. Even those knuckleheads who think that they're right and aren't. You must be kind to who? Everyone. That means even your roommate, even your housemate, even your work, the people that you work with, you must be kind to everyone, able to teach. In other words, this, understand what, what Paul's saying to Timothy. You don't argue with people, but you've got to be able to explain things if they ask. Okay, you gotta be you gotta you gotta be able to teach them if they're asking. You, gotta, you need to be able to instruct. You people at the cornerstone must not be quarrelsome. You must not quarrel with anybody. You must be kind to them. You must be able to explain, however, when they ask. And you must look at the next part. You must not be resentful. You know what that means? That means that you don't spend your energy feeling like you need to justify or defend yourselves. Think about how much energy and time you would save if you never had to defend yourself. It's so relieving to realize the truth that the Lord is your defense. And he will defend you if you don't feel like you have to defend yourself. You spend your energy defending other people. Let him defend you. So don't be resentful. Don't feel like you, get, you have to justify yourself. Okay, verse 25. Those who oppose you, you must gently instruct. Why? Why do you, what's the motivation for instructing people when they're wrong or who oppose you? Look what it says. In the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Why are you going to do it? What's your motivation? Because you care about them. You care about them coming to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 26, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. In other words, if, if you are right and they are wrong, they are wrong because the devil has blinded them. And when they're blind, they do not realize that they're wrong. And all the yelling at them and all the explaining the world will not convince them that they're wrong unless there is something supernatural that happens in their mind. So you, you instruct them gently for the, with a motivation that they will be set free from the trap of the devil. You guys with me? Okay. So, I ask you guys the question, are there times that it's worth disputing and debating? And you said, yeah, and I said, yeah, but I think most of the time you don't have to do that. But are there some times that it's still worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Paul and Barnabas did here. So, here, here's the criteria. Here's the rule of thumb that I want, I want to suggest to you guys as, as people come against you and say and start arguing with you about stuff. Here's what I suggest that you do. You say... If the motivation here is unity, and if this is an issue that the two of us can actually deal with 
if that I have a responsibility or I have authority over, then it's worth then it's worth talking about. You don't have to spend your energy debating or disputing with people about things that don't apply to you. How many arguments could you save yourself if you didn't feel like you had to talk about Trump, President Trump? I mean, you don't have any. Think of. I mean, have you noticed? People like to debate politics. It's like that's not that's not in your jurisdiction. Go ahead and vote for him or don't vote for him. But you don't have to convince everybody else because it really doesn't matter whether you convince them or not because he's still going to be the president. Does that make sense? Okay, and I want, you, I want you guys to think about this. What I'm asking you to do is, what I think the, the scripture is teaching us to do, is don't spend your energy arguing with people if it's not an area of your responsibility. For example, on Monday, I, w I was at Jeff's grandmother's funeral. It was in Frisco, about an hour and a half up there, drove up there, went to the funeral, it was led by a Catholic priest at a Catholic church in a very Catholic way. How many of you guys are from Catholic backgrounds? Okay. Okay. It was, well, it was a great worship service. It was a worship service, and it honored Jesus, and it honored his grandma. Now, were there things that I did not agree with theologically? Yeah, a few things. A few things. And the reason I wouldn't agree with those things theologically is because I think that the, those things that I might disagree with theologically are things that I think probably don't line up with Scripture exactly. The Scripture is our Constitution. It's our guidebook. But about 98% of what happened at his grandma's funeral was right on. It was, it was culturally different. It was stylistically different. But it was all about Jesus. It was very good. And after the service was over, if the priest had asked me my opinion, hey, Steve, how did I do? Do you think I would say, well, it was pretty good, but there's a couple things I don't agree with you about. Like some people have done to me when I'm preaching at Grace Community Church. It's like there's a, there's a couple of people who feel like it's their job to tell me if I don't say something right. And I think there's one guy in particular is like, that was pretty good, but uh, there's a couple things I don't agree with you about. I was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I'm really not all that interested in what is, this is like every time that I preach there. Okay. If the priest had asked me how he did, I would, I, I mean, in fact, as I was walking, I was like, man, I wish I could, uh, he was talking to a zillion people, Aaron was there too, but uh, I wanted to give him a hug and just say, good job, man. Now, why don't I feel compelled to try to fix his theology? It wasn't my party. I have no authority at his church. It's not my jurisdiction. It's not my responsibility there. Now, there are, let me just tell you guys, just so you understand, there are, there are a, couple, a few things that I didn't quite agree with. For example, uh, it was mentioned that uh, something about asking, asking the saints for help and I'm thinking, that's not biblical. We pray, to, we pray to Jesus alone. We don't pray to any angels. We don't pray to any, any dead people or any people that have already gone to heaven, okay? Okay, also, there was a mention that Jeff's grandma is looking down and smiling at all of us. Somebody said something like that. I was like, that sounds like Buddhism to me. 
That's not Christianity, guys. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that after people go away that, they, that grandma's walk, looking down and watching you. Okay? I don't agree with that. Because I don't think the Bible agrees with that. The other thing that was mentioned was, was uh, th- some, something that is in line with Catholic theology of the communion bread becoming the, the body of Jesus as we eat it. And I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that, that if, if I coughed it back up that it would be Jesus' physical meat. So I don't, I don't, I mean, that's, that's, that's Catholic teaching. But you know what I did? I mean, was that big enough reason for me not to participate in the communion? No way. As I went, when it was communion time, I went up and I, t- and I, and I took the, the wafer, the bread, and it was meaningful. And here's, so, so I know there's people in this room like, Steve, don't, and why, why are you participating in a Catholic community? You know why? Because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ, even if I don't think that, that we, we agree on all the th- theological points. Now, I want to say, there's no way I'd do that in a Mormon church. There's no way that I'd do that in a JW Kingdom Hall. There's no way that I'd, that I'd participate in the communion um, equivalent in worship services that I've been in where people uh, um, are worshiping idols and taking uh, food as part of that worship. I wouldn't do that. But our brothers and sisters at the Catholic Church and participating in communion with, with them, I felt, based on, holy, on our scripture, that this was uh, a Jesus-honoring thing to do. It was, it was a very, a very wonderful service. Okay. You guys say, okay, isn't there a time to where things are important enough to debate? And I want to say, sure, absolutely. But here, here what we read just now in, in what's going on in Antioch is what we didn't need, what we don't read about, is that 5,000 5, people in Jerusalem and 3,000 people in Antioch all pick up battle axes to go, to go to bat against each other. Do you guys understand? Instead, what we do see happen is that Paul and Barnabas go as representatives of the church in Antioch to the leaders in the Jerusalem church. So let's read about this, okay? Verse 2. I want you guys to see through what we're going to read right now how this dispute was resolved. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, that is the church in Antioch, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They're heading south, and they told the Gentiles, and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. Okay, the issue here, the issue, if you guys weren't here last week, is can non-Jewish people become Christians without becoming Jews? That was the big issue that they're dealing with, and they're hearing this testimony that there are, there are non-Jews becoming Christians. So verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Okay, I want you guys to notice the warm atmosphere that this debate is going to happen. In. There's about to be a debate. There's about to be a meeting to decide the issue. They're going to decide they're going to make a major decision about this issue, but it's going to be done in the context of unity and love. So verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, 
stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. In other words, they can become Christians, but they have to be like us. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. There, was, there had valid reasons to be thinking the way that they were. They were. And so the, there's, this, there's an issue that needs to be decided. And what I want you guys to see is that although we don't all have to agree on everything, unity can happen, okay? Unity doesn't mean that we all agree. Unity means that, that we might have differences of opinion and different ways of doing things, but we can still say, you know what, you're still my brother. You're still my sister. Okay? And I want you guys to see that this is going to be resolved through the leadership of the church. And the leadership of the church is going to make an authoritative ruling. And I know that this is countercultural to us. Because we, I know our culture says, I'm with Jesus, Jesus is with me. I don't need any, any authority in any church to tell me how to be a, a, a follower of Jesus. That's our American mentality, but it's not biblical mentality, okay? Okay, so I want you guys to see how this is resolved. This is resolved in three ways. If you're taking notes, write this down. First of all, it's resolved by an observation of real events and facts. Secondly, it's resolved through observation of what the Scripture says. And thirdly, it's resolved through submission to the decision of church leaders. Yes? I'm going to go through these again. Okay, I'm telling you where I'm going. Sorry. Yes. Yes, thank you. Guys, you can tell me to slow down. When I was in India, I was teaching at that Bible school, I had to speak very, very slowly. So thank you. Okay. Okay, the first one is um, we're going to see how, how this is resolved, this issue is resolved by them observing what is actually happening. Okay, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter who's also called Simon, got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's talking about something that happened back in Acts chapter 10. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, accepted non-Jews, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And he made Peter speaking, he said, God made no distinction between us and them because he purified their hearts also by faith. And so now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Paul, Barnabas and Paul telling the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among them through, through them. Okay, first, the first thing that this decision that's about to be made rests on is an observation of what's actually happening out there. Lots of discussion in the office about whether God can save a non-Jew. And Peter gets up and says, he already did, buddies. If you have noticed, there's lots of discussion, there's, or there is some discussion nowadays about whether God still he heals people. Have you guys heard this discussion? Does God heal? Does God heal? You know how the first way that you solve these kind of arguments is like, is God healing people or isn't he? How many of you guys have been healed by the Lord supernaturally? Okay. There you go. 
Argument's over. Okay? The first thing is you look at the reality. Is, is, God, is, is this thing working? Is God actually doing this thing? Okay. Second thing that the decision rested on was Scripture. Verse 13. So they talk about what's actually happening, their observation of what's happening. Verse 13, when they'd finished, James, you guys remember who James is? James is the brother of Jesus. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the guy that wrote the book of James. He's a guy who his nickname was Camel Knees because he spent so much time praying. His knees looked like camel knees from praying. And he's the guy who was thrown off the top of the temple in 62 AD, 12 years after this happens, and is stoned to death. It's a powerful guy. Okay, and so he stands up, and, he's, and he says, hey, okay, guys, listen to me, because everybody's talking about what Peter just said. He's like, okay, guys, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a group of people for himself. Verse 15, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. Now he goes back to the Old Testament. He's, he's like, okay, guys, we just heard the testimony of what's going on out there. Now let's see what the scripture says. So he looks at Amos 9, and he quotes this from Amos 9. Amos 9 says this. After this, God is speaking in Amos 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Speaking of the, the dynasty of David, speaking of Jesus. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear his name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for the ages. Okay. Again, what I want you guys to see is that this decision that's going to that's gonna solve this debate that's going on is based on Scripture. First of all, it's, it's, it's based on what's actually happening out there, what God's actually doing. Secondly, it's based on Scripture. Okay. But there's also a third way that this division, this dispute is resolved. And it's based on submitting to church leadership. Okay? So this is what James says. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he says this, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, let's not make it difficult for these guys. Why make them be like us? Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food. He tells them four things now. Abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided, remember how many people were in the church? There's about 5,000 people in the church in Jerusalem, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch, where there's, all, where there's a non-Jewish church. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and they, called Sil and they chose Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. And with them, they send a letter. Okay, you guys, listen now. Now there's a letter that they send with them. And this is what the letter says. The apostles and elders in Jerusalem, who are your brothers, to, this is, it's addressed to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Here's, they write the letter now. We have heard that some men went out from us, with, with, from us without our authorization, and they disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. You guys still with me? That's what we talked about last week. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. 
men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. In other words, the answer to your the big question about whether you have to become Jews, be circumcised, and follow these laws is don't worry about that, except we're going to give you four things that you should do. You're to obtain, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. See you later. Verse 30. So the men were set off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who were themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers in, in Antioch. Okay. What do you guys think about the letter? What do you think about the church decision? I want you to think. Just think about this. Can't remember what the issue was about. The issue is about, do you have to become a Jew to be saved? And the truth of that, you must be, you don't have to be a Jew to be saved, so now you must be, and they write a letter and stick four things in here. That's what he just said. And it really bothers me. Because the whole New Testament, the whole point of the New Testament is you should be good. You're not good enough. Jesus fills the gap, and there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Now, James says, but you should follow these four things. These four things that James mentions are not a requirement for salvation. They can't be. And yet, he writes a letter that goes out to all the Gentiles that makes it sound like they need to do these four things to be saved. And I'm thinking, what? That's not quite right. I mean, are there rules that we should follow? Absolutely. Are there rules that we should follow to obtain salvation? No. You guys understand this. There's rules we should follow. Don't, don't throw all the rules out. You guys should live, you should, there's certain things you should do with your life. And you should set rules for your life. You should let the Lord set rules for your life. But that is not for the sake of obtaining salvation because salvation was obtained through not what you did, but what, but what Jesus did. So now he gives them these four things, and I'm thinking, this matters to me because if, if I'd been in that council meeting in Jerusalem, I would have said, Brother James, can I just say something? I know people who love Jesus with all their heart, and who are saved, who eat blood. Because I was born in the Philippines, and a lot of people there eat blood. Does anybody here eat blood? Have you guys, been, have you guys had blood? blood um, yeah, I'm sure you guys have been to parties where they're serving, they're serving like blood pudding and stuff. And, and I mean, that's, it's cultural. Okay, I'd say, so you're going to put that in here? But here's the deal. Here's, that means my time's up. Okay. My time is almost up. Okay, here's what I want you guys to get. Here's what I want you guys to get from this. Is I wasn't there in the council meeting in Jerusalem. I didn't deserve to be. But I submit to their authority. And so I don't eat blood. 
And I sure don't. I'm sure not skipping blood because I think that by skipping blood, I'm earning my salvation. And so I don't, I, I don't quite, I feel like I don't quite agree with how this was written. It doesn't matter. This is the leadership of the church. And my responsibility, you guys understand me, is to submit to the leadership of the church. Even if I don't agree with it. And this happens all the time. There are, how many times have decisions been made at a higher level of leadership, and we just say, we submit, I submit. I mean, a couple of years ago, decision was made to take that we were getting for, for safety because of something that happened near the cornerstone on a couch. All the couches were taken out of the cornerstone. I was like, don't do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I submit. I submit because I'm under authority. So here, here's what I want to suggest to you guys. The, the way that, that, that disputes are settled within the body of Christ is not that we agree on everything. Not that, that, that we don't even, even have an opinion that's contrary to people who are above us. The, we do not have the right to question the authority of Jesus. We can ask about it, but we submit to the authority of Jesus. And, I mean, there's people who, are, who, who have taken to Japan. Who's been to Japan with me? Okay. Who wants to go to Japan with me? Who hasn't been yet? Come on, guys, raise your hand. Okay. Um, there have been times where as we're tr we, we have so much that we're doing in Japan. And there's times where we've, we've set policy for our team. And people are like, Steve, I don't agree with that. I'm like, okay, you don't have to. I'm not asking you to agree. I mean, it's not, there's not even any discussion to have. It's like, this is, this is the way this works. We're doing it. Do you want to be part of the team or not? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So, so the way, what I want you guys to see from here, what I want us to learn from here, what I'm learning from here, even in going through this, is that, for, first of all, there are so many things that we could argue about that aren't worth arguing about. But there are things that we must make decision, policy decision on. And most of us, including myself, don't have to make the big decisions. But we do have to submit to decisions that are made. Isn't this the way it is with the United States government? I mean, how many of you guys were irritated today with some law that the United States government made? I was. We're talking this morning. Anna's trying to, Anna, Anna's upstairs telling me about she's trying to get zoning stuff that happens so she can put a tiny house in Arlington, and the government's standing in her way. And my feeling is like, okay, we'll start a revolution. No. What's that? Did I say that wrong? Okay. Okay. Here's my, my, my proper response. My proper response is I'm not the government, and, I, and I'm not the person who's, who's making policy about where to put tiny houses or not. My responsibility is to submit. <laughs> Guys, this is what the Lord is teaching us, that we are to be people who are excellent in submitting to authority. And we're going to do more in changing the world if we can be those kinds of people than if we sit back and mock the decisions that... <laughs> Authority has made over us. Yeah. The government or the professor or your manager at work. What do you guys think about what, what I'm saying? I think some people are thinking, I don't like this. Well, I don't either. <laughs> it's not my responsibility to decide whether I like it or not. It's my responsibility to obey the Lord, to submit to every governing authority, as it says in Romans 13. You guys with me? Okay, we are out of time. How did, how, did I, how did that clock go so fast? Guys, stand up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're asking you to teach us to be men and women of God. 
even in areas that we don't agree, where people make decisions, our parents or our teachers or our bosses or even uh, people who are in control of our houses or government, Lord, and we just say, Lord, would you help us to be people who uh, are excellent at submitting? And would you use the submission of the people in this room to change the world? And that the people in this room would be policy changers, that you would raise up people in this room to be people who are able to make decisions that would make this world a better place. Because I know that you're looking for that, Lord. And so, Lord, would you just keep teaching us? Thank you, Lord. Would you change our lives, even this week, even through what we just talked about now? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, if you need prayer, do we have a prayer team in, in the prayer room tonight? Yes, okay, there's a prayer team in the prayer room, and there's lunch tomorrow, and thanks for being here. <laughs>